Welcome to Solo But Not Alone. I'm Alice Carlton, founder of True Intent, professional coach and change agent. I'm here at Smile Radio here in New York City. I will be speaking with early stage solo and creative entrepreneurs, finding out how they got started, what it's been like to get something off the ground, lessons, insights, relationships that have made the difference, and really getting to know my guests' stories. My guest today is Lisa Ann Markison, AKA LA Marks. LA Marks grew up in Northern California, graduated from the University of San Francisco in International Global Studies, was an original co-founder of the Haiku Guys and Gals, and is now the founder and chief poetic officer at Ars Poetica. In my conversation today with LA, we're going to talk about family, the intersection of identifying as both an entrepreneur and an artist, our relationship, the importance of resilience, throwing spaghetti at the wall, and learning what sticks. I am so excited to be here today talking with you, Lisa Ann. I wanted to start by turning it over to you and asking you what you do, and let's go from there. My new company was just launched on my birthday, January 6th. I had been working with another company before that, and so this was my first opportunity to launch a company that was exclusively my own. Essentially, my new company, Ars Poetica, which is Latin for the art of poetry, is an experiential entertainment agency and I represent 35 plus independent artists around the world, and we specialize in interactive poetry. So we do haiku on typewriters, we do custom commissioned work that we perform on stage, really anything that falls into the realm of language arts and anything that can elevate an experience is what we do. What do you think started your journey to where you are now? They're actually two very different start moments. On my dad's side of the family, everyone is entrepreneurs. So I had a really strong base to build a a dream of making my own business. So, and doing business was always something that just made sense to me. I've always been obsessed with earning my own money. Like when I was a kid, we had to do chores to get our allowance. And we had a very strict list of chores we would do. And I would ask permission to do my brother's chores so that I could get his allowance. And then when I was like a little bit older, I started tutoring. I started babysitting. I always wanted leadership roles and to push myself to see what I was capable of. Even then at the age of like 16, I started working in my dad's office, working in the mailroom and had a second job by the time I was 17. I was just really, really into seeing what it was like to work. I was raised with the idea of whatever you're going to do in your life, you're going to do it yourself and you're going to have to make it count. And I didn't always know, though, that I wanted to actually start my own company. I went down the path of a professional route where I was going to do diplomacy. On the side, did a lot of like fun little entrepreneurial projects. It was always something that I really liked to do. It kind of like scratched an itch for adventure and for independence. But it was not something that I thought was going to be my my main breadwinning pursuit in life. It wasn't until I got into the field of diplomacy and started having to work underneath someone else who was giving me orders that I realized that that was just not possible <laughs> for me. I really had to hit that wall where someone was like, you have to do this because this is the way we do things. That I was like, oh, no, 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 no. I can never do something just because someone says that's the way we do things. I have to do something because it's an internal drive or because I believe it and because I want to try it. Let's actually explore that a little more before getting into the poetry. Tell me more about 
when you hit that wall, what did you do next? 23 years old, right? And I'm working in this very respectable international diplomacy group. And I was kind of distraught at that moment when I realized this because I wasn't excited to realize that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I had to have an internal debate about, is this me just not being able to just lean in and do work that isn't exciting? Or is this inherently about my soul? I did push through and try to make it work. I didn't want to make any rash decisions where I just quit without making sure that it was necessary. So I did finish my contract with the organization I was working with and then set out on my own to explore what else I could do. And that's when I started doing freelance work. And really, so that's when I started to experiment with becoming an artist. Share a little bit more about how that uh, came together between your entrepreneurial spirit and identity as an artist. Quitting my job allowed me to start pursuing art in a professional context and in a more experimental behind the scenes, really understanding my identity as an artist. I needed freelance work and I was pretty good at social media and I was a great writer and loved writing and I loved events and event planning. So my work ended up kind of falling into the buckets of journalistic writing and then doing little PR, social media, promotional work, and then also helping with big art events and doing some grant funded work, working with this wonderful woman who's one of my mentors and guiding lights throughout my whole creative journey, Philippa Hughes with her organization, The Pink Line Project. And um, that's when I really got to do poetry for the first time in a professional setting. I developed strong friendships with other people in the creative community, and we would stay up late at night playing with a lot of like mashup art and a lot of freestyle improvised art. And then on the professional side, I got to work on putting together art events, uh, work on curatorial and managerial stuff, writing really punchy, sharp, bloggy, uh, journalistic writing. And so I got to stretch all of these different muscles all at the same time. And I started working for a sushi chef. You can see where this is going if you know about my major art form. He needed help with promotional stuff and some little events and social media. And I was doing all this improvised poetry and art with my friends. And so obviously when we were together, we were always joking around with haiku. And he was opening a new restaurant and wanted to have a fun event. And so I curated a bunch of different art to go into the space to draw people in and make it look amazing and did our first ever typewriter haiku activation in his sushi shop. And that was when I saw that that core offering of an interactive, improvised haiku experience with the vintage nostalgia of the typewriter was just a total win. Looking back, it's like a Thomas Edison light bulb moment. I'd love to hear more about some of those key relationships. You mentioned a couple people so far. Can you share a little bit more about the characteristic of those relationships? Yeah, I mean, I'm obsessed with Jungian archetypes. If every solo entrepreneur is on their own hero's journey, every hero needs a few different types of relationships to make those lows a little less painful and keep those highs a little more grounded and to push you creatively, but also keep you from falling off the ledge. I mentioned Philippa Hughes being one. I think that 
a relationship where someone gives you trust and responsibility that maybe you didn't even know you were ready for. I didn't go to Philippa and say, I wanna help you organize this art festival. She said, I think you're ready to help me organize this art festival and gave me a role that I wouldn't even have dared to ask for. And I think that's maybe especially important for female entrepreneurs that are a little bit less on the bold, like, let me just go make a wild proposal to someone and see if it'll work. My parents, I think that a totally unshakable, unconditional love is really, really important. And, you know, if you don't have the support of your parents, which I know some entrepreneurs that don't, there's other ways that you can get that, right? But you need to have something that you know that you can just always rely on when you have a day when you don't feel good about yourself. There has to be something that you can look to to really remind you that we're all just molecules or something, you know, something that is universal and deep, deep, deeper than any day-to-day struggle. And the other type of relationship that I think is also crucial if you're trying especially to go into a creative field or something that is a little bit revolutionary or innovative is you need those peers that are going to push you to make mistakes and to experiment. At that time, my friends Catalina, Micah, and Dina were my total experimental friends. And even to this day, I still collaborate on a daily basis with Micah and Dina. So it's really, really cool to look back and see that they were by my side the first time I ever wrote a haiku on a typewriter. And to see that they were pushing me to not be embarrassed of dumb, failed art experiments, you know, and to like really have fun with it. I'd love to hear a little more about that first time you brought in the typewriters and haiku. Sure. It's funny because I don't want to put a perfectly rosy, nostalgic hue on that experience because I remember being a little hard on myself afterward. I was disappointed that more of the art on the walls didn't sell. I wanted it to be this raging success art show where all the artists had all their work sell and the house was packed. Attendance was fine. A couple pieces sold. I was like, oh, it wasn't like a blockbuster, you know? But I knew that the poetry had hit somewhere and that was something that stuck with us and that we then continued to iterate on. It was also cool because I was getting paid to do it. It wasn't just a wacky experiment that was in our house. It was something that a Japanese businessman said, I want to have you bring experimental art into my business to make it interesting and attractive. What are some of the relationships that have continued as well as any new relationships? Mom and dad is definitely still the top one for sure. I love talking to them about everything. Again, Micah and Dina have been with me since seven years ago, and we're even closer now than when we started collaborating, which is amazing. And I knew them before. I knew my ex-business partners who became a very big part of my life for five years, and now we never speak at all. And, And that's painful, obviously, but also I understand that not every single relationship that I forge can be my soulmate forever and ever. Amen. And I'm taking that as another opportunity to learn more resiliency and to remember that I can lose a lot and still have my my unshakable core self. Along the way, any relationships that have really been a part of your business moving forward, your own professional growth? Something that held me back a lot for my whole life was not being actually able to ask for help enough. And so it's a little tricky for me to look back and see those people that 
have helped me a lot because I think I've actually pushed away help on occasion. And so, you know, deciding to work with you at the beginning of the year was one of the first times that I actually went out of my way to seek help and actually invest in myself. Recently, I did a really interesting collaboration with someone who I have never even met in person, which was really cool. Uh, Allison Stoner is a very popular actor, dancer, singer out in Los Angeles, and she's also an LGBT activist and has become really well known for that in recent years. I reached out to her because I knew she was a poetry fan and wanted to see if there was any way I could just offer my services to her. And she said that she had been asked to do a piece of work about prom. And so we started talking about that and co-wrote a poem together using not only her and my own experiences, but asking her fans to share their own prom stories and stories of being excluded or even discriminated against during prom. And so we worked on this poem together. She made original choreography to it. One of my poets, Christina Priel, wrote backing tracks to the poem. And then I had my poets, Dina, Micah, George, and Christine, and a good friend of mine who's in this awesome band, Lauren Ruth Ward, Eddie Rivera, all these people showed up to go and be recorded dancing and playing different roles and typing poems in this awesome poem video that she made. So wow. it was this cross-country, interdisciplinary smash hit of a collaboration, and it got premiered on 17.com as this big moment of talking about how prom can be more inclusive, how LGBTQ can feel more involved in such a heteronormative experience, and how we can bring prom into the 21st century is something that everyone can feel a part of. I love that it took on a life of its own. Yeah. And at the same time, with a lot of hands and love and heart in it. So much heart. <laughs> Another relationship that was actually something that started in New York, and she was the first poet that I ever recruited and trained in my old company, is Tanya Asnes, a.k.a. Taz. She was the first person that I ever trusted to work alongside me in a professional capacity doing poetry. She's actually a couple years older than me and has been such a positive influence on me, guiding me through the evolution of my art because she's a professional actor and intellectual and has always been cool older sister. It's easy to run anything by her. It's easy to collaborate with her in this way that we're equals, but I look up to her. And she now, with the launch of the new company, has become completely my right-hand woman and has been there to support me when I'm crying and to send me hilarious tweets and make me laugh. Everyone needs your, um, what do they say, the kids say these days, your ride or die. And Taz has definitely become my ride or die. For all of National Poetry Month, she and I came in here and did 30 episodes of a daily dose of poetry. Tanya and I sat in this space at Smile Radio and interviewed guests about a problem that they see in the world and offered up an improvised poetic prescription for that problem. I'd love to segue into our relationship. So I got to experience firsthand the daily dose of poetry as one of your guests. And it was so much fun, first of all. I, was, uh, I just really have so much admiration for the energy and the spirit that you bring to your work. I'd love to talk about the work that we've done together and 
one of the reasons that I was so excited to have you as a guest is because we have really had an opportunity to collaborate both directions in a few different ways. Let's start where it started. We had first met in the context of coaching. I knew that I wanted to invest in someone's help. I knew that I had to bring someone into my brain so that I wasn't just making all of these huge decisions and trying to decide my vision and my mission and my brand and my organizational structure with no feedback that I could trust. I didn't want to ask my peers to to play that role for me. I didn't really know what coaching was. I loved that it was like, come to my office, we'll have this amount of time together so that we can decide if it's a fit, and then we'll move from there. You recommended Guy Kawasaki's book as the starting point for our work on starting a new company, and I had already seen Guy Kawasaki speak at a conference with my old job, and I knew that he was a guy that I could totally respect and look up to as well. So we did six weeks together, which I think was a really good uh, foundation setting amount of time. If I had unlimited resources, I would probably want to continue even more. It was a really good start to help launch me back into the world with more confidence and with more security about what I was doing. Your use of the whiteboard was really, really helpful to me during each session. I was able to organize my thoughts on that large format with your guidance and filter in a way that I've never done before. I've always been like a small notebook kind of gal. And it's hard actually to fit large ideas in a small notebook. A crucial turning point for me was when you helped me realize my deep aversion to brand development and how much that was really holding me back. That's something that has been a problem for me for a very long time. That's when I came up with this metaphor that I'm now obsessed with, the idea of the the, the vision and the mission being pure, fresh water that is so necessary to life, but without a cup or a vessel to put it in the brand, how can anyone consume it or hold on to it? It just runs through your fingers. So that was really the turning point where I acknowledged that I had to get a logo that I was passionate about and excited about, that I had to choose colors that made me as excited and as vibrant as talking about the mission, that those were as important. So once once I had that major shift, you also really helped me a lot with my ideas about leadership and how I wanted to develop my team, how much I wanted to get feedback from them, what I wanted our communication to be, what I wanted the actual structure to look like. And being able to talk that through with you and not a person that I was considering bringing onto my team was really important because I was able to keep healthy boundaries with my collaborators and keep that as something that was just me. As a solo founder for the first time, it was hard to trust myself enough to just hold on to some things myself and not ask for opinions from every single other person. So I needed to be able to ask for your guidance there. The last thing was time management, how I spend my time and how I can be more productive. I'm, I've been asking a lot more of myself in terms of building the new company and just getting done. And I realized that I had a lot of unconscious habits that were hindering my productivity and just not keeping me in a sharp and focused mindset. And so with your help, I was able to learn how to batch my actions. And that's been something that I've taken with me and continued to implement and keeps me feeling so much more in control of a schedule that can be wildly different from one day to the next. So I really appreciated that help you helped me see that my first hire had to be an administrative assistant, someone that I could 
delegate work to so that I could free up my mind for creative and revenue generating activities. Since hiring him, I've been able to write five new wildly creative proposals and close four new deals. Amazing. So I I mean, really like there's a huge impact in revenue correlated to that, which I guess I owe you for. (laughs) (laughs) No commission necessary. Check in the mail. Yeah, I I really did not admit to myself for a long time that that two or three hours a day was really sapping energy from creative pursuits and from relationship building in particular. So let's talk about what happened next in our relationship. I was planning on a rebrand relaunch party and... I love parties and I love hosting and creating an experience for guests. And I naturally thought of you in working together. I learned about what you were doing. And you were, of course, one of the first people who came to mind when I thought of if I were to create an event within this event, what could that be? It's really touching for me to hear you explain why you invited me to be a part of your relaunch party because I was coming out of a really dark time and you know I was finding it really hard to be confident the same way that I was before and you floated me the idea of not only doing interactive typewriter haiku which is more of our standard tried and true everyone loves it cheese pizza crowd pleaser you said can you do a custom poem, longer form, totally different style to read at the event? I got such joy out of taking a lot of care with your story. It was a new experience for me and something that was deeply satisfying and something that I hope I get to do more in the future. I knew I wanted a moment at the center of the event. I knew I would do some talking, but I really wanted that piece, the story, to be told, but not by me. One of the things I loved was you and your band of poets were really connected as well as you each have your own powerful presence. I loved the conversations that were happening and you set the tone. That party was great because I think it was a perfect example of what we always hope are poetic and interactive entertainment to result. Cool vibes, and of course there's the beautiful antique typewriters, and then the fact that each person gets to have an artifact that lives on forever. Our poems are often a thing that people love to share and connect back to that event. It's something that they take home and frame, or people even get them like tattooed on their bodies. It's happened like five times. So when you think about some of the major lessons you've learned in business as an entrepreneur, what are some of those lessons? As a creative entrepreneur, I think the biggest lesson that I've learned through my whole first company and then this renaissance moment would be to not be so afraid of failing. I've never been a big worrier, but I realized through finally allowing myself to have some failures over the past few years that the failures are the best learning experiences. I realized that I held myself back by being so afraid to have a crappy artwork or to have a party where no one showed up or to spend money on something that was a waste. And so I've learned more and more and more to take risks, to take creative risks, to take business risks. Uh, And then as someone who's creating a new market niche, I think it's also about confidence, but in a different way. It took me a while to become bold enough to 
actually speak to professionals and say, this thing that I'm offering that you've never heard of is valuable. It's scary to say to someone, I have something that didn't exist before I made it up. Pay me thousands of dollars for it. But once you do that enough times, someone will hear that and respond well to that and you create more and more momentum there. Slowly but surely, having a general upward trend in confidence about asking for what you're worth has been invaluable to me. Being a co-founder was huge for me. The, the most painful and transformative milestone for me was realizing that being a one-third co-founder with two co-founders that weren't a good fit anymore couldn't continue and having to take the biggest risk of my life and go out and start something all on my own. That was a huge, huge milestone for me to just admit that to myself and take a risk on myself. Share with me a couple things that have either recently happened or on the cusp. The collaboration with Allison Stoner, this million fan person deciding to take a risk on collaborating with a little, a little guy uh, was huge for me. I'm doing a summer-long project bringing poetry into the Algonquin Hotel to celebrate their centennial celebration of uh, the round table with Dorothy Parker and all of the famous people that used to hang out at the Algonquin back in the 19 teens and 20s. And it's the first time that a huge brand like that, they're owned by Marriott and the Autograph Collection, has trusted me to do an ongoing multifaceted art project in their space. So that's huge and gonna be launching in June. Congratulations, that's really exciting. Last but not least, what words of wisdom, any advice that you would share? I wanna say something that almost sounds like a tough love thing, sure. which the first weird little instinctual phrasing that came to my, my mind is don't be a wimp. If you think you wanna be an entrepreneur, you need to put your neck out there. I get a little bit worried about some people that ask me for advice where they just want a playbook, where they can just mad lib their entrepreneurial experience in there. No, you have to make some spaghetti, throw it against the wall and like see if it sticks. And you might've just wasted a whole pot of spaghetti and gotten a mess on your wall but you have to just try it and you can't expect someone else to just give you a plate of spaghetti and be like, now you're an entrepreneur. Take a risk, make a mistake, make a fool of yourself and don't ask someone else to make a fool of themselves for you or to just give you the, the surefire win. I love that advice and I like the tough love. It's also, don't be afraid to ask for help. Don't be like me three years of my entrepreneurial life. Ask for help while you're experimenting, don't think that you have to do it as a completely siloed off organism because no one is solo. Put yourself on the line, but do ask your Knights of the Round Table to help you out when you need it. Love it. How can everyone find you and Ars Poetica? Our website is arspoetica.us and you can find us on Instagram at ourspoetica.us as well. I'm Lisa Ann Markison on all social, so if you want to reach out to me for speaking engagements or teaching or having a custom poem written for you, then you can definitely reach out to me on any platform. So thank you so much, My Lisa pleasure. Ann. I really look forward to keeping the conversation going. To our listeners, thank you so much for joining us on the topic of Solo But Not Alone. You can find us at trueintent.com or at trueintentnyc. 